Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning on this somewhat cool morning. It's about time. If it drop about another 30 degrees, I'd be really happy. But uh, I know it wouldn't, wouldn't help most of you, but uh, it would me. Uh, before we begin this morning, I do want to just kind of mention that, you know, when you've been somewhere long enough, things begin to change names. And sometimes we may get confused. So I wanted to clear up a couple things from our announcements this morning. When it said that Sue Sloan was in Grace Hill in Hugh Springs, that is the facility formerly known as Granger. Okay, so, you know, if you're wondering where that is, that, that's the old Granger. And it was talking about Nora Phillips was in UT Health Center in Tyler. That's the hospital formerly known as East Texas Medical Center. So just so you get all that. How many of you still call Windsor Pinecrest? Are they the only one? Wow. You people have been here longer than me. So, you know, just want to make sure we're, we're clear on all of that. Mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when I kind of did a little promo on our opening of our lessons on the letter of 1 John. And I asked you the question, have you ever been in a discussion, maybe an argument, maybe it didn't start out as an argument, maybe it was just a discussion, and you knew you were right about something. You, you, you knew it. And it wasn't one of those, well, I think so, maybe so. I, you know it. But the person you're talking to or speaking with says something or offers a little alternate and maybe before you know it, that thing that you were absolutely so sure of, now you're not so sure of. Well, I'm pretty sure about that. You know, kind of like what the lawyer does, at least in the movies, what a lawyer does, you know, to a witness on the stand. Oh, you're sure about that? Could it maybe have been? And before you know it, maybe the witness is going, well, I don't know, maybe, might not, you know, whatever. Well, that is kind of what has happened to the readers to whom John is writing, spiritually speaking. They at one time, I believe, had been confident about their salvation. They knew what they believed. John and others had taught them and they were, they were, they were solid in their faith. And then all of a sudden, some people came along. That made them question what they had believed. Made them question their faith. Made them question what John had taught them. They'd been introduced to false teachings concerning the deity of Jesus. False teachings concerning their relationship to God. And their relationship to each other. And their false doctrine on how to live a godly light life. You know, Satan uses doubt and confusion and false teaching to question our faith and salvation. He uses division and controversy in hope to fluster us and in the end perhaps make us give up. He's doing that today, is he not? In our world, there are hundreds if not thousands of world religions. And even if you just narrow it down to the Christian religion. 
There are hundreds, if not thousands, of different teachings and different philosophies and different churches and different beliefs. And we may find ourselves asking, what is up with all of that? Are we right? Is what I've been taught and believed my whole life, is it true? Can I really be sure of my relationship and my salvation? My relationship with God? What does God truly want from me in my life? Or we might even ask the question, does it really matter? You know, if there's all these different teachings, and all these different philosophies, and all these, does it really matter what you believe? And our world is out there, I think today, Satan is out there in our world today, trying to get us to believe that it doesn't matter what we believe. As long as we believe something, that's what's important. John writes this letter to help answer those questions for his readers and more. And you know, sometimes when we read the letters in the New Testament, we have to kind of guess what was going on and why the writer wrote that letter, particular letter. In this letter, we don't have to worry about that. Because John tells us specifically why he wrote this letter to these readers. And he actually says, I'm writing for four reasons. And the first one in John chapter 1 and verse 4, he says, We write this to make our or your joy complete. Now, I just realized that may be too small. Some of you may not be able to read that. But it's John chapter 1 verse 4. There's Bibles in front of you if you can't read it. I write, we write these things to make you, our, or your joy complete. Now, depending on your translation, it will depend on whether you got the hour or the year. And the problem is, is that in the Greek, just like in the English, our and your is separated by one letter. And in some of the manuscripts, it's your, and in some of the manuscripts, it's our. So what do we kind of make of that? Well, I think it's more the your because John is writing so that these readers could be confident and that their joy could be complete. And even if it is the hour, I'd say that it is the plurality hour. All of us hour. So that our joy, usens. Joy can be complete so that we can be joyful in our relationship with God. Secondly, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, My children, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Woo! Well, that took on a whole different tone, didn't it? We'll talk more about that in a minute. But some of these false teachers had basically been going around and apparently saying something to the effect of, eh, there's no such thing as sin. Do what you want to do. Boy, I'm glad we don't have that problem in our world today. But John is going to talk to them and he's going to speak and we'll talk more about this in a minute. But he's going to tell them, yes, there is sin and you better not sin. But then he comes with some good news. But if you do sin, we have a sacrifice. 
But he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. In chapter 2 and verse 26, he says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John says there are some false teachers out there. There are some folks who are trying to lead you astray. Maybe they're doing it deliberately. Maybe they're not doing it deliberately, but the effect is still the same. They're trying to lead you astray. They're trying to pull you away from your relationship and your fellowship with God. And so I'm writing to warn you about them. And then lastly, in chapter 5 and verse 13, he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, as we go through the rest of the lesson this morning and as we extend on through the lesson... The rest of the lessons on this letter, we'll explore more, those a little more in depth. But as I read and, and, and I told you that it was, Ronald, I don't know how long ago it was that you mentioned to me that I'd never preached through 1 John. It, at least a year, maybe two years. Just one, John, uh, Ronald says. But ever since he mentioned that, I began reading 1 John. Over and over and over and over and over again. I thought I knew 1 John. I didn't know 1 John. I probably still do not know 1 John. When we get through with this, I probably will not completely know 1 John. But there are some things that as you read it over and over and over and over and over again. By the way, how many of you got your bulletin? How many of you read 1 John this week? All right, we got a few. Five little chapters. If you read the whole thing, it'd take about 15 minutes. So you could read it every day. The whole thing every day. Or you could read one chapter a day, that's fine. First chapter will take you about 30 seconds to read it straight through. Okay? But as I began to read it over and over and over and over again, there were certain things that just kind of began to pop out at me. Some I'd seen before, some I'd never seen before. Some points that I think John is trying to make, some basic principles that John is revealing. And the first one is, doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. For some reason, doctrine has become a four-letter word in modern Christianity. Something to stay away from. The idea of doctrine is tainted by the idea of legalism or narrow-mindedness. Yet doctrine is simply what we believe. That's what doctrine is. What we believe. And what we believe is important. Paul, in both his letters to Timothy and in his letter to Titus, warns the readers... Watch out for false doctrine. Stay away from those who preach and teach false doctrine. And then he encourages them to hang on to sound doctrine. Paul understood that what we believe is important. It may be politically correct to ignore doctrine... Or to accept any and all doctrine. 
But that's not biblically correct. John writes to refute false teachers. Those who are trying to lead his readers astray. And in fact, in chapter 2, he goes so far as to call these people the Antichrist. Whoa. We heard that term before. Yeah, we've heard that term before. We maybe have used it before. We may not understand even what it meant, you know. But we, 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 that can't, anything that begins with anti and ends with Christ can't be good, right? Cannot be good. And John calls these false teachers the anti-Christ. And he warns his readers about them. So what was this false teaching or this error in doctrine that was so important that John wrote about it in his letter? Well, it was an incorrect understanding of the deity and the humanity of Jesus. That's kind of what was, what was at the centralness here. It was what, you may have heard this before, it, it was a philosophy that, began, that became known as Gnosticism. And early on in Christianity, after the, the early Christians had to deal with the, the Gentile controversy. You know, what do we do with these Gentiles who are becoming Christians? Do they have to obey the old law? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to keep the Sabbath? Do they have to do all of this? You know, are they just as Christian as we Jews are Christian? You know, I mean, we've known God longer than them. You know, surely we're... Better than they are. And so the early church had to deal with that and come to grips with, no, we're all one under God. In Christ, we're all one. After that controversy, the biggest controversy that the early church faced was this idea of Gnosticism. What to do about the humanity and the deity of Christ? How do we reconcile that in our own minds? And there were some certain, although there were all kinds of different flavors and offshoots of, of this, these false teachings, one of the things, some of the things they had in common was, first of all, it supposed that there was a special knowledge of God that was not available to everybody. You see, the word gnosis, from which we get the word gnostic or gnosticism, is the Greek word for knowledge. So that's where this comes from. So there were those out there who were saying, I have a special knowledge from God. I have a special relationship with God. I have a superior fellowship with God. It's not that you're a bad person. God just hasn't chosen you to have this special knowledge or have this special relationship. And because I have this special knowledge, I have this special relationship, there are teachings, there are mysteries, there are philosophies, there is doctrine that I know and you don't know. And you see, that's how if somebody comes along and they want to Teach you something different from what's in the scriptures. Or they want to lead you in a direction that is not found in the Bible. How are they going to do that? 
If you're smart enough and you know the scriptures well enough, they're not going to be able to just just lead you that way. So the only way I can lead you where I want to lead you is to tell you that, yeah, what you have is okay. But God gave me something else. God gave me a teaching that's superior. Newer. Than what he gave you. And so some of these false teachers were coming in. And they were telling the Christians there where John was writing. Yeah, you know, what John taught you was good. And what you learned and all that was fine. But I know something deeper. I have a deeper fellowship and a deeper relationship with God. And that's why John begins with this idea in the first chapter, four times he uses the word fellowship. And sometimes talking about fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. We all have fellowship with God. We all have the knowledge that God wants to give us. The second way it manifested itself is, is, is that it stated that there was a definite separation between the spiritual and the physical. The spiritual was good. The physical was evil. And the spirit and the body could have nothing to do with each other. Now, as with many false teachings, there, there's a, a grain of truth to it. And something that can maybe be traced. You know, did Paul not talk about, you know, the difference in the spiritual man and the physical man? But he was not saying that the physical man in and of itself was evil. Or that the physical body or that anything that was physical was evil. We allow it to become evil in our lives. And the idea that the spiritual and the physical can have nothing to do with each other. Was a part of this false teaching, which then led to a false teaching or a misunderstanding concerning the deity and humanity of Jesus. You see, the early church had a difficulty understanding the incarnation. They had a difficulty in understanding. How God, almighty, perfect, spirit God, could become mortal, weak man. Again, I'm glad that we don't struggle with that concept. I've told you many times, the idea of the incarnation, Jesus Christ being 100% totally God, and at the same time being 100% totally man, blows my mind. I've been doing this a long time, and I haven't come any closer To understanding it than 32 years ago when I first started here. Or 35 years ago when I first started preaching school. I'm no closer in comprehending it. I believe it. 
Because the Bible clearly teaches both of those things were true in Jesus Christ. Well, the early church had the same problem I did. So if you're not going to just simply accept it by faith, you have to try to explain it. And guess what? You can't. I don't think you can successfully explain it. So if you must explain it, if it must make sense to you, then you have to start manipulating things. And so what they did was, is they either went one of two ways, because there's only two ways you could go. Either Jesus was not 100% God. And there were those that said, well, you know, he wasn't God when he was born. And maybe at his baptism, the spirit of God kind of descended into him. And then before the crucifixion, because certainly God could not be crucified. That'd be a physical thing that the spirit of God kind of left him. And so he wasn't really God. Or you go the other way. He wasn't really man. He wasn't flesh and blood like you and me. He didn't, he didn't get tired. He didn't, you know, get a cold. He didn't, you know, stub his toe. He didn't, he didn't really need to eat or drink or any of those kinds of things because he really wasn't a physical man. And they even went so far to say is he, he just seemed to be here. And one of the offshoots of this was a philosophy called seemism. And it was the idea that as Jesus walked along the seashore, he left no footprints because he wasn't really here. Okay. And so this was part of the doctrine that these people had come in and were teaching to John's readers. Well, that then leads to another part of that doctrine, which is. What we do in the flesh, what we do in the body, the physical, has no bearing on our spiritual relationship or fellowship with God. Since the body and the physical is inherently evil, there's nothing we can do about it. Since the spirit is inherently good, nothing can affect it. So if I have fellowship with God, spiritually, I can do whatever I want to in the Bible. I can live my life any way I want to. Because I can be as evil and as wicked and as whatever in the body. But that's just the body. It doesn't affect my spiritual relationship with God. Which then kind of leads to John's second principle. Not only does doctrine matter, but holiness matters. The reason doctrine is so destructive is that it has the potential to lead to actions or lifestyles that are contrary to God's will. And we call that sin. You see, there are some doctrinal differences that we may have. That do not affect my salvation. That do not affect my lifestyle. 
my holiness. I don't want to get into a big old long discussion here this morning, but I just want to share this as a perhaps a for instance. How many of you believe that when we die, we go to heaven? Okay. How many of you believe that when we die, we go to a place called paradise where we await the judgment and then we go to heaven? Okay. About 50-50, more or less. You know what that means? Half of you are wrong. Half of you are wrong. I didn't tell you which way I voted, but those that who would have voted with me were the right ones. So there, there's a right and a wrong about that, Right? Does it matter? Does it matter about my salvation? No. Does it matter about how I live my life? In holiness and righteousness and and obeying God's will? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect that. So you believe your way, I believe my way. One of these days we're going to find out that I was right. Or on the off chance... You know, you might be right. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anything per se. But then there's other doctrine that affects the way we live our lives. And one of the bad things about this doctrine was it affected the way people live their lives. They had been taught now... That they could have fellowship with God. They could be one with God. They could love God. They could be God's children. And still live wicked and immoral lives. And John comes along very quickly and says, "Uh uh-uh. How can you say you have fellowship with God? How can you say you love God and you disobey what he says? How can you say that you are one of God's children and you continue to live in sin? Now, he's not talking about the occasional mistake. We'll we'll get to that. But he's talking about a mindset that says, I know that God says, don't do this. I know I shouldn't be living like this. I know this is not what God wants. But I'm going to do it anyway because it doesn't affect my relationship with God. And John basically says, are you kidding me? Well, that's a paraphrase sort of. You cannot have fellowship with God and continue to sin in your life. Holiness matters. John chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, the man who says, I know him. You get that? You think he's pointing that directly at those false teachers? I know, gnosis, remember knowledge. I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Whoo! I always thought John was the loving, sweet, kind, you know. I'd expect that from Peter. Peter. 
or maybe Paul, but not from John. He is a liar. And the truth is not in him. We cannot separate our spiritual fellowship from God from our daily walk in the flesh. The two are linked. We cannot say that we are God's children and continue to keep on sinning. The third thing he says is love matters. Probably the best known passages from 1 John are those about love. How great the Father's love that he's lavished on us. You know, how can you love the Father if you don't love your brothers and sisters? And, you know, the great love that God has for us. And, you know, and I was thinking, woo, you know, I love those verses. Can't wait till we get to those verses. But you know what? He does not start talking about that until he has laid the foundation that doctrine matters and holiness matters. Then he says... Love matters. Not only, but only in the context of having the right doctrine and the right lifestyle. John makes it very clear. You cannot have one without the other. You cannot truly love God and have the wrong doctrine that leads to the wrong lifestyle. And doesn't lead to holiness. Now he's going to kind of say... Also, you can have the right doctrine and you can have the right lifestyle per se, keep all the rules, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. You got to have them together. They're not interchangeable. They're not separate. It's not an a la carte kind of thing, you know. We have to have all of those together. John states that you cannot love God without obeying his commands. And you cannot love God without loving each other. And without the other, one without the other is not real fellowship with God. And fourthly, he says, confidence matters. In this environment of some having some kind of extra knowledge, John wants to assure his readers and us that we can have confidence in our salvation and our fellowship with God. Confidence that is based on our own righteousness is no confidence at all. Confidence based on an every ever-changing relationship with God is no confidence at all. I've told you all sometime before that, that Jimmy Allen, one of my professors at Harding, used to talk about basketball theology. I thought, well, basketball theology? What's that? You know, you got you to gotta hit the mark. You know, you got to, well, okay, you know, there's lines. You can't cross the line. Okay. He said, no, no, no. He said the way he grew up was the idea of I'm saved, I'm not saved. I'm saved, I'm not saved. I'm saved, I'm not saved. Kind of like dribbling a basketball. And I thought to myself, that's kind of how I grew up. The idea that I, I could be a, a, a absolutely faithful Christian in full fellowship with God. And in an instant sin and it's all taken away. I want to ask how many grew up kind of like that. John, I believe, comes along and says, no, 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 no. Yeah, we can't keep on sinning. But he says that we are walking in the light 
as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us of our sins. Wow. You mean it's not I'm saved, I'm not saved, I'm saved, I'm not saved. No. No. If we're walking in the light. Now he makes it clear we got to be walking in the light. But if we're walking in the light. The blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us. And that's the kind of confidence that John wants in his readers. That's the kind of confidence he wants in us. As Christians, we are not in a constant state of flux between saved and lost. Paul assures us that if we are walking in the light, we have fellowship with God and with each other. And yes, he goes on to define what walking in the light looks like. He talks about love driving out all fear. He writes to us so that we may know, not hope, in the way we use hope. Biblical hope, yes, but not in the way we, not hope, not feel, not, well, I'm mildly optimistic, but know that we have eternal life. Isn't that the confidence that we want in our lives? As Christians, we ought to be confident people. I grew up among people for whom being assured of our salvation was not a good thing. Oh, no, 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 no. You better be real careful. You, you watch out. You know, you know, you know, the, uh, John says, I write these things to you who believe in Jesus Christ so that you may know that you have eternal life. John shares with us how we can attain that confidence as well. John writes a letter to encourage and warn encouragement and warnings that we need just as much as readers long ago. Nothing must have changed. He's going to tell us and remind us in here, doctrine matters. What we believe matters. He's going to tell us holiness matters. You cannot claim to love God and live your life any way you want to. You have to obey his commandments. Love matters. Our love for each other demonstrates our true love for God. And confidence matters. So we'll discuss some of these things as we move along in our study of 1 John. But there's some way we can help or encourage you this morning in your fellowship, in your walk with God. We invite you to come down as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 
West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.